Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, and welcome to the debrief from the business of fashion, where each week we go deep on our most popular BOF professional stories with the correspondents who created them. I'm Lauren Sherman. Is the U.S. in a recession or not? Depends on who you ask, but one thing is for certain. Consumers are feeling the effects of inflation, and shopping for fashion isn't as easy as it was a year ago when the job market was on fire and many shoppers still had savings left from the peak of the pandemic. Given the unprecedented circumstances, how does a fashion CEO prepare for what's next? Today on The Debrief, BOF workplace and culture correspondent Sheena Butler-Young, whose recent article, Advice from Fashion CEOs on Leading in a Recession, covered this ground, explains more. Sheena, welcome back to The Debrief. Thank you, Lauren. It's always a pleasure to be here. So much fun to chat with you. Really, really fun. Explain to me why this was the moment to explore this. Well, interestingly, I actually set out to write this end-of-year executive sound-off feature, right, that focused on my beat, workplace talent and culture. And I wanted to just chat with maybe a handful of fashion CEOs about the things that were top of mind. Like, how do you lead right now? I was expecting to kind of dive into future of work, talent, like how are you approaching diversity, sustainability? But the more I talked with executives and thought leaders on this, the more it felt like the recession was the big pink elephant in the room. It felt like you couldn't talk about all of these things without acknowledging that the biggest factor underpinning their decision making was going to be this economic downturn that we're either slightly in or anticipating that will happen very soon. And so I felt like the recession was top of mind and the the story naturally pivoted in that direction. I have a little cute anecdote that I put in the story at the beginning. I got on the phone with Robert DeLoren. He's the chief executive of Excel Brands, which is parent of Holston and Sea Wonder by Christian Suriano. We were supposed to be talking about how he leads. And the first thing he said was, you know, this morning I walked into Andrew's Deli on the corner of 7th and 36th in Manhattan and I ordered my usual two egg whites and toast and it was nine bucks. It was double the cost that I've ever paid for this breakfast, basically. And he said, how does the average person really handle that? And it's not atypical for executives or other leaders in fashion to kind of look at these unusual indicators in their environment to kind of think about what does this mean for the consumer? But I think it was interesting to me that I think it 
almost was an analogy for the delicate balance that he knows he now has to strike. You can't pull the same levers that you would have pulled in an economic downturn or when you see inflation in the market. You've got to really be thoughtful of what it means for the consumer, but also for your employees. And also how does it impact your long-term planning around big themes like diversity and leadership and sustainability and all of those things. So Recession just felt like the topic of the moment, and it felt like we couldn't tell another story at this point in the year without it being about that. Rising inflation, slowing job market, very scary for sellers of discretionary items. And yet, like, we're not actually in a recession yet, or maybe some people think we are, some people don't. There's still the job market is still good, but then there have been all these tech layoffs. Let's start with what they're not doing. Let's talk about the things that typically happen in a typical recession that a lot of the executives you spoke to said they're trying to avoid this time around and why? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's no secret. All of us that have ever had jobs, we know when we hear recession, we start thinking about the security of our job. And so typically one of the first levers you'd pull in economic downturn as a company, as an HR strategist, any of those leadership roles is you start to think about firstly a hiring freeze. So you'll start to see job boards where the postings will start to come down. You stop hiring for roles and you start to maybe spread out responsibilities across your team. If that doesn't work, or if you start going down the list of things you can do, the next step is layoffs. While most fashion companies right now, especially those that have stores, it's still top of mind, which by many accounts was a misstep, that rush in March 2020 to engage in layoffs and furloughs for your store teams. Two years later, right, as of September, where there's still 1.9 job openings to available worker in the U.S., two years later, a lot of companies are not able to hire back the workers that they either sent home, hopefully at that time temporarily, or the workers that they laid off. There's still a major labor shortage, and it's felt most in retail stores. So companies have to be very thoughtful about what they're going to do to manage P&L this time around, because that's not going to be the knee-jerk reaction that they can probably take. Another big theme driving sort of this shift in how you think about layoffs is that uh, nice-to-haves like sustainability and diversity are actually more essential than they've ever been. They, they are more closely related to your profit and loss than they were five years ago. That's coming from a number of places. I think, Lauren, you and I talked about this on a previous episode of The Debrief around ESG, environmental, social, and governance. So things like sustainability and labor issues, companies were able to score brownie points with consumers and with employees if they could just show they had at least an interest in their carbon footprint, right? Now we have actual laws behind that. And so companies have to think about compliance. They can't just get rid of the sustainability function this week because it's not as important as, say, supply chain. It's actually very much interwoven with a lot of other business functions. And also there's legal implications around certain business functions. Another good example of this is diversity. Diversity and inclusion teams were usually nice to haves. I don't know if you recall or if we've talked about this before, Lauren, but March 2020, I know for a fact from my, a lot of my sources that diversity teams in fashion were sent home. They were not essential to business at that time. Two months later, we saw George Floyd. Then we saw Ahmaud Arbery and everybody was scrambling to put out statements. There were protests and social justice uprisings and they didn't have diversity teams to call on to release a statement. So companies are really thinking about who is essential to their business at any given time, but especially when things are seeming really crisis-driven and there's all these P&L pressures. Your nice-to-haves are not the same and the people that you might deprioritize 
can't be deprioritized right now. So layoffs aren't a priority like they usually are. There's also the priority of diversity and and ESG and all these social consciousness things that are so much more related to how the business performs than they used to be. You can't just make those disappear anymore either. And, you know, layoffs, of course, you don't want to let people go. But with things that are corporate governance, a lot of times I feel like some executives kind of are relieved when they can put that stuff aside because that's the hard, hard work to do. But this time, it doesn't sound like they can do that. They are in a position where they need all that to work for the business to work. So what are they doing to cut costs and make sure that as we go into this, that they're ready for it? I should preface a lot of this by saying I think there will be some kind of layoffs. I think some of that will be unavoidable. But what some of the measures that they're taking now. So at Excel, Robert DeLoren, he said the company's May decision, May 2022 decision to sell a majority stake in Isaac Misrahi, the brand that they owned for over a decade, that was almost solely intended to deliver the balance sheet and sidestep layoffs in anticipation of economic downturn. So they made about $46 million in cash off that sale. And that kind of helped them to maybe stab off, hopefully, layoffs for the entire period of a recession, or at least for the short to midterm. I love this quote that he said. It's a little bit fluffy, but he said, what you never want to do when, if you can avoid it is you pull the assets, the people who are coming up the elevators every day and driving your business. Like, I don't think any company thinks that layoffs are fun or that they're the go-to, but there's this mindset shift that's happened that people truly aren't disposable. They're not, it's even people that are not maybe the top performers in your organization, there might be a better way to use them versus layoffs. So there's actually a mindset shift that's happening around that. At Obsess, which is a virtual store platform that works with companies like Ralph Lauren and Farfetch and Tommy Hilfiger to create their online stores using augmented reality. I spoke with their chief executive Nina Singh, and she said the company has sort of pulled back on hiring. So they had intended to end the year with about 90 employees, which would have more than doubled their headcount. They've now reduced that goal by about 10. They had hired for engineering and 3D design roles, and now they're prioritizing a few extra salespeople and account managers. So not layoffs, but hiring freezes, that's still sort of a traditional route, but it's still, if you can avoid letting go people that you already have and maybe avoiding bringing on new people. That tends to be smart. I spoke with Saks Office CEO Paige Thomas. She's hoping that the company is uniquely positioned because it's in the off-price channel. When we see economic downturn, usually discount chains like Saks Office are able to take advantage of inventory gluts in the luxury channel or opportunistic buying from court logs or other issues that can come out of that. She's hoping that that's going to help them get ahead of this and actually maybe become a tailwind to them. Also, they went deeper into resale, so that might be an opportunity as well. But even so, she said, they're still thinking about where they can find efficiencies. They're still thinking about how they can manage payroll. And they're still thinking about how they can manage capital. So I think that's stopping short of saying even though we're aware of the position we're in right now, nothing is truly out of the question, but a lot of things that would have typically happened are now a last resort. During the 2008 recession, we saw the launch of 
Guilt Group and Rue La La and a bunch of those flash sales sites because there was so much inventory. I just did a story on Intermix just sold to a different private equity firm. They were in trouble. And I heard across the board when I was talking to executives there that all of the online retailers and, and retailers in general overbought for the fall. The, this year has just been gangbusters still for retailers, especially at the higher end. And when it comes to closing things, October was a really tough month. Like they'll be up over the year just because the rest of the year was so good. But October was really tough for a lot of people. And so many of them overbought. So I do think there will be an opportunity for some innovation. And we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But when we return, Sheena will share what CEOs are saying about innovating in a tough economic climate. Hey, everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAS10. That's S-O-N. L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome back to The Debrief. Sheena, one of the things that a lot of executives say is that a downturn is a great time for innovation. Obviously, you have to do more with less resources, but sometimes there's opportunity to experiment because you're sort of It's not that you have nothing to lose. You have a lot to lose. But if you're working with a smaller budget and a smaller staff, if someone on that staff wants to spread their wings in a way that's not going to cost the company money, I think that sometimes people are willing to take those little risks because it's just such a strange moment. And I don't know if you heard anything from the people you talked to about what they're willing to experiment with right now and what they're pulling back on. Yeah, I think it's a theme that I've been following for the last couple months around nascent categories like metaverse and NFTs. I think you're seeing some of the investment pull back on NFTs, specifically the creating these NFTs that you can sell on the metaverse. A lot of companies are sort of peeling back from that because of the growth opportunity there is still all over the place. NFT prices, cryptocurrencies seem very volatile. So it doesn't seem like an area that they can go deeper into right now. But I think that Anything related to a creative digital experience, I think it's very much getting the attention of fashion companies still. And those are not just experiences that are on like an e-commerce site or an app, but even in your stores, how do you create connectivity across all your different consumer touch points? And sometimes that means investments in innovation or digital tools, but it's probably not the tools that they were investing in at the start of the year, like metaverse, like NFTs, like digital avatars. I think when consumers are feeling the pinch in their wallets, obviously they're more 
more um, selective about what they buy. So I think retailers are thinking about how do we stand out from our competition? How do we make the shopping experience easier? And sometimes those investments, by the way, look different depending on where a company is in their journey. So I think Francesca's is a good example of this. You know, they filed bankruptcy. I don't know if you're familiar with that chain, Lauren. No, please illuminate me. I'm curious. So they had, I think, a store count in the thousands in 2020. It's not a regional retail, but they're based in Texas and they have stores. It's kind of this boutique shopping experience, very curated, but pretty moderately priced kind of private label. And they went bankrupt. They were publicly traded. They went bankrupt during the pandemic and they emerged as a private company a year later in 2021. And one of the things that was probably their undoing at the start of the pandemic was that they were overstored and they had kind of fallen behind on digital investment. And so I spoke with their CEO, Andrew Clark, and he said, where we're investing, it isn't groundbreaking, it isn't NFTs, it isn't the metaverse. It's things like new management systems for warehouses and for stores that enable things like buy online, pick up in store, ship from store, all these things that maybe a lot of other companies may have already been doing. But that's what matters to us. That's what's going to get us ahead. So it's still a digital investment. It's still an innovative investment for us. But maybe for our peers, that's not the most innovative thing. But it's still where we see the biggest win in terms of technological investment. Another example, Saks Office, they launched this guaranteed delivery date initiative last month. It's a new logistic network technology. When you order something on their site, you can kind of follow it along the delivery chain that gives you real-time calculated delivery date. So when you're shopping for the holidays and gifting and that kind of thing. So it's all about making, I think, experiences easier, quicker, and where possible, exciting. And I think it just looks different for the company. I like Nia's quote. She said, experiences that wow. Again, a little fluffy, but I think the bottom line is how do you stand out right now? Consumers don't have a lot of discretionary income, but they do need gifts. They do need certain things. How do you stand out from your competition in a very tight financial moment? Makes sense. So one quick final question on the NFT thing, because I feel like in this way, NFTs have become the new CSR to executives. Like CSR is now a business imperative. It's a moral imperative. When I say CSR, I mean corporate social responsibility. All of that stuff is just so crucial to the business. They can't ignore it. And it feels like NFTs and things like that are this thing now that it's hard to compare because one is novelty and the other one is like a moral fiber thing. But if I were an executive, I feel a lot of them are like, oh my God, I'm so relieved I don't have to deal with that for a few months or or maybe never again. Maybe we can just ignore it. Are you getting that sense from executives you talk to that it's just all that Web3 stuff, even though it could end up being in five years really important right now, they're just kind of relieved that that can go on the back burner? I wouldn't say outright that I'm getting that exact sense, but I think there is a relief that they can lean on the side effect of it. Fashion professionals and executives are more comfortable talking about consumer experience and all of those things rather than NFT. And I think there's like a sense of joy that, you know, maybe that was all meant to teach us about customer experience. Maybe it's not about coding or 3D or avatars. Maybe it's just meant to teach us about how to better engage with our consumers. And that's more comfortable and palatable than having to hire a whole team of AR professionals, or even like it's gone all the way back down the fashion pipeline. You've got a whole programs have been recalibrated at colleges to kind of 
include some of these learning tools around digital and 3D and meta and NFTs. And that's been a challenge. I think that's going to continue to happen. I don't think we're going to run away from Web3, but I think there's a little bit of a relief to the general idea that maybe we can lean on the lessons for now and not the outright technology. Looking ahead, we're getting close to the end of the year, Sheena. You went into this story thinking this was going to be sort of CEO sound off on 2022. Looking into 2023, other than the recession, what are some of the storylines that you're pursuing? I had some really good conversations today with some recruiters, HR thought leaders around big themes for 2023. One of the things that I think is super interesting that I heard, this just is top of mind for me because I had these conversations this morning, is around the prioritization of engagement, like employee engagement, and how the future of work will start to shake out at companies. So an interesting thing that came up that I think we'll really see take shape next year is how do you measure your talents success? And how do you think about promotion in a climate that is hybrid, right? So an example that came up to me was that people are now having the option to return to office or not to return to office. And what they're seeing is people that are coming to the office are the first in line for promotions. How do you now measure equality and inclusivity in the office when people have the option not to come in? Are you going to see people be penalized because they're not showing up? And what does that mean for working parents and people that for whatever reason aren't able to make it in? Are they going to be measured the same way as their peers that choose to or just are more able to come in? So this new kind of inclusivity, equity conversation that now has to be thought of through the lens of the future of work. I think that's really interesting to watch because I haven't seen that. So how do you think about engagement? How do you think about measuring performance of your talents in a hybrid world and how factors like diversity and access all come into that? Remember, people that are minorities probably have different barriers to even coming into the office now. What does that mean? And obviously working parents. So I think that's interesting. That's one to think about for sure. Yeah. It's a really difficult question because we have a interesting job where I've had a remote job for most of my career, at least like I wasn't in the office every single day. I think there was one job where I would be there from nine to five, but usually even if you're going into the office, you're out and about for half the day, at least meeting with people in the pre-pandemic world, at least. So we have a a specific situation, but I do wonder, you know, you can't replace FaceTime. That's a challenge. Companies that are bringing people back are now having to figure out how, if I'm coming in three days a week and you're coming in once every two weeks, do we have a fair shot at the next promotion? When I went into conversation today, I thought we were going to be finalizing the future of work, that that was going to be a headline. And now I'm seeing there's so many layers to this that I think the conversation is only starting on what the future of work actually looks like. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, Sheena, I will be watching your coverage closely and it was so great to catch up. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Be sure to check out Sheena's article, Advice from Fashion CEOs on Leading in a Recession at businessoffashion.com. The link to this and other articles available to BOF professional subscribers only are also in the show notes. You've been listening to The Debrief, produced and edited by Emma Clark, Kate Barton, Eric Bria, and Georgie Rutherford in the BOF studio. I'm Lauren Sherman, and I'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Thanks so much for joining us, and be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can join BOF Professional today with an exclusive 25% discount on an annual membership covering key industry topics from sustainability to technology to marketing with access to our case studies, 
live events, and iOS app. To get this special offer and benefit from 25% off of a membership, head to the link in the episode show notes or enter the coupon code DEBRIEF at checkout. Visit businessoffashion.com slash memberships. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L. L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. 